This morning we're going to continue our walk through the book of Acts, and today we're going to be in Acts chapter 13, verses uh, 13 through 22. And as you turn there, or you can follow along on the screen, uh, either way, but uh, just, just catching us up to speed where we are, we're, we're kind of entering into the second part of the book of Acts. The first few chapters were all about the disciples receiving the Lord's commands to go and to, to share the gospel in all the world. And so they waited on the gift of the Holy Spirit that came at Pentecost. Uh, they were filled with that Holy Spirit power. And they began to preach and the, the gospel began to grow and spread throughout Jerusalem and the area of Judea, even into Samaria. But it had not yet reached, at least in a formal way, those uttermost parts of the world. That is, that, that place beyond just Jerusalem and Judea and Samaria. And so in this second part of Acts, we're looking how the Holy Spirit uh, leads and spreads the gospel, specifically following uh, the ministry of the Apostle Paul. He was an uh, antagonist uh, against the, the Christian church, the Christian people. He persecuted them. He wanted to put them in prison. He was happy if they were put to death. He went against them in every way that he possibly could. And yet he met, that, uh, he met our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ on the road to Damascus. And his life was transformed. And we're really at the beginning point. We just started a couple of weeks ago looking at this very first missionary journey and these Missionary journeys over the ancient world, uh, they spread the gospel. And so Saul has now, he's, he's become known by his Roman name, Paul, and he's taking the lead. Up until now, the Bible talks about Barnabas and Saul, but now it's saying Paul and Barnabas. He's kind of the, the lead preacher. And we talked about how they left Antioch and they went to this big island in the Mediterranean, uh, the island of Cyprus, and they preached their way all the way across that. And now they're going back to the mainland. They're going to, to begin their, their mission, which would, in the area of what we would call Turkey nowadays. And so we're going to read, uh, again, Acts chapter 13, Beginning in verse 13, and I want to ask if you would please stand in honor and reverence for the reading of God's word. <clears throat> Acts 13, 13. Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga. There John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. But Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia. Sabbath day, they went to the synagogue for the services. After the usual readings from the books of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. So Paul stood, he lifted his hand to quiet them, and he started speaking. Men of Israel, he said, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. The God of this nation of Israel chose our ancestors and made them multiply and stay strong during their stay in Egypt. And then with a powerful arm, he led them out of slavery. He put them through 40 years of wandering in the wilderness. He destroyed seven nations in Canaan and gave their land to Israel as an inheritance. All this took about 450 years. After that, he gave them judges to rule them until the time of Samuel the prophet. Then the people begged for a king, and God gave them Saul, son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, who reigned for 40 years. 
But God removed Saul and replaced him with David, a man about whom God said, I have found David, son of Jesse, a man after my own heart. He will do everything I want him to do. Pray with me. Father God, we pray that you would bless the reading and proclamation of your word. Lord, may it work in each and every one of our hearts to draw us closer to you. If there's one here today who does not know you, God, I pray that today they would be touched by your tender calling, your love, which extended to the cross for them. And Father, for those of us who have received by faith fellowship and salvation, God, may we be drawn closer to you and made more like Jesus, we ask in his name. Amen. You can be seated. Paul does here a very unusual thing, at least in my opinion. Imagine that you knew about Jesus. You didn't believe in him. In fact, you fought against him. But then you had been called by Jesus and you converted to this glorious Christ, this Son of God. And you had on your heart to share this message with everybody around the world. You were passionate about this. You left behind all that you knew so that you might share the message of Christ with others, that they might have the hope of eternal life. So when you got that opportunity to get up and speak, what would you do? I don't know about you, but I think I would immediately say, Jesus, everybody repeat with me, Jesus. And you would just, you would just go straight in, and there's this man named Jesus. He's the Son of God, and you need to believe in him. I think I might just be tempted to lay right into it, and they might backpedal a little and say, whoa, 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 what are you doing? It's all about Jesus, folks. You need to believe in Jesus. Now, next week... We'll get to that part where Paul talks about Jesus. And he certainly does come around to saying, Jesus is the message. You need to know about him. He is a descendant of David, and he is the one who is the Messiah. But Paul, as he was offered an opportunity to speak, he took a good bit of his precious time, his opportunity to speak to these Jews and these God-fearing Gentiles, who he wanted to get the message of life to, instead of jumping right in at Jesus, he starts to give them a history lesson. Now, I want to ask a question. I want you to be honest. How many of you like history? Raise your hand. Don't be ashamed and embarrassed. All right, we've got some history lovers. I'm with you. I was a history minor. You people are awesome. I don't know about the rest of you. But uh, I have discovered with my own children, with many friends, you kind of either like it or hate it, right? I mean, and, and there seems to be a majority that kind of hate it. You know, maybe about a third of us say history's awesome and cool, and the rest of us are like, that is the boringest thing I've ever heard of in my life. Why are you going on about history? So why in the world, if he's trying to communicate and reach out and tell people about Jesus, would he start with what looks like to us a history lesson? This person came along, and then this person came along, and this person came along. Because that wasn't a history lesson to those folks. If you have anybody in your family who's like 
all into genealogy. I mean, they just love it. They eat it up. I saw someone just roll their eyes. because, <laughs> So I know they're thinking about someone in their family. Um, you know, you know that person I'm talking about, and, and maybe it's not even your family, but they can go back and tell you and about their family crest and, you know, all this stuff, all the generations. Kind of the entire nation of Israel was kind of like that. The stuff that we look at the Bible and we say, this is the boring, it's awful. You know, the so-and-so begat so-and-so begat so-and-so. And, you know, we're like, let me skim here, right? We, we just kind of go on to the next place. But for the Jews, they were really, really into that stuff. And it's kind of like you and I, let's be honest, we're not into that stuff if we're not related to anybody famous. But if we are, like if we're descended from Abe Lincoln or Washington or some great king, we're into it then, okay? As soon as we find out, oh, yeah. And so they're saying, you know what? They're all into it because they're all descended. They all come from this nation, from Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the ones that God called out for his very own people. And they all really, really, really got into this stuff. Why was he telling them this? Why was he going through this? Because the Apostle Paul knew something about life that is so important for all of us. It was important for him in sharing the gospel, but it's important for us in everything we do. The Apostle Paul understood the importance of making common ground, of learning to reach out with other people that we don't know or we're not close to and develop some common ground with them. And that's exactly what he was doing. He could have jumped in there the first time he stood up and he could have said, Jesus, 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 and he'd have been theologically correct and he'd have lost all their interest. But when he says, hey, it's, to them, it was not this boring history lesson. It's kind of, it was kind of like when you go to a high school reunion and say, hey, you remember that game? And you remember, you know, and, 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 and if you played in that game, you remember all this stuff. It was a precious memory to them. And he was developing a common ground so that he could talk about this other stuff that when he got to talking about Jesus, their heads were already nodding. They were already with him. They were already connected. They were already on the same page. So that hopefully, likely, when he talked about the, king, the, the prophets and the priests and the kings and there was a coming son of David, so that when he got to that point when he said, and now the son of David, the Messiah has come, that hopefully they would keep nodding and they'd keep saying, yes. I'm excited. He's come. You and I as believers, we need to learn that importance of developing common ground with other people. Why? Number one, it'll radically transform your relationships in life. If you learn how to develop common ground with people. Now, almost everybody does this to a certain degree, right? Especially if somehow you kind of get, you know, you get sat next to a stranger or something, and, and you're going to ask, where are you from? Well, where are you from? Well, who's your people? Well, uh, you graduated from this school. Do you know so-and-so? They graduated from that school. Before you know it, y'all are like, 
third cousins twice removed or something, right? I mean, that's kind of how it works in Mississippi. Or, or you, you know somebody, and, and you keep working until you find common ground. Or if it's not relations, it's, well, what's your favorite team? Well, what did you think about the championship game? Or, you know, somewhere, somehow, if it's sports, if it's hobbies, if it's whatever, we kind of find common ground. So we all do that a little bit, and especially when we're forced to because we're talking to a stranger and we don't have anything else to say except for the weather and we want to go beyond that. And so we work a little bit to make common ground. But the reality is if we would work a little harder, if we would do that a little bit more often in life, we would be a lot more successful at our relationships. I remember a long time ago, uh, Josh McDowell, who was a, a, uh, a, an expert in Christian apologetics, but he was also an expert in, in youth ministry. He used to say about uh, raising teenagers, he would say, rules without relationship equals rebellion. And I believe he's exactly right. Rules without relationship equals rebellion. In other words, the old saying, I don't care how much you know uh, and, until I know that you care about me. Uh, if, if, you don't, um, if you and I don't have build-up relationships and common ground with other people, we're going to have a hard time uh, really getting closer, really being blessed, really having our relationships be fruitful with one another. All of us want better relationships. Even if we say, well, I don't try hard, and some of us pride ourselves, I don't try to make people like me. I'm just who I am, right? Some of us kind of, we're kind of proud of that, but we would all like to have better relationships, whether it be with family, with coworkers, with neighbors, with whoever. Better relationships are better. And if you watch Paul, Sometimes we might get in our mind that he's not good at relationships because it sticks out to us those times when he fusses at people and he says, oh, you Corinthians, you need to get it straight, you know. Or we, we remember those things. And, but actually, Paul was pretty much a master at relationships, at building common ground. When he would go into a new mission field, the first place he would go would be a synagogue. Why? Because he had some common ground. He knew those people from the synagogue already had this common background of, of knowing how God had worked through Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, through the kings, and, and through the prophets. And he could say, and now Jesus is here. And whenever um, uh, inevitably something would happen, and they'd say the Jews who didn't believe got mad enough, they'd kick him out. And who would he work with then? Well, those God-fearers, that is, the Gentiles who already were interested. And, and he would work with the willing, but he also did his best to help everybody be willing to listen. So first of all, as you and I who are created in the image of God, and we were created for relationship with God and with one another, we should work hard at building common ground with people so that it would better our relationships. Secondly, we should work hard at it because it's commanded by God. It's part of our, our duty. It's part of our mission as believers. Now, if you're not a believer, you know what? You're not under that mission. You know, you're following along in your own way. But if you've trusted in Jesus Christ, you have a mission. The Bible tells us 
that we have been given the ministry of reconciliation. All of us have been given a task to help other people, to reconcile people to God, people with one another. We are commanded, be at peace with all men so much as it is up to you. So the Bible's realistic, right? So much as it is up to you. It's sometimes you will do every single thing you can and someone's being impossible. But as much, and this is when your conscience before you and God, as much as it is possible, as much as you're able, you should attempt to be at peace with all people. And you and I should attempt to not only be at peace with others, but to help others be at peace with God. And that's really the message of the gospel, is that you and I, as we're apart from God, we are opposed to him, we're at war with him, we're in rebellion against him, and God has extended an offer, an offer of peace. His son, Jesus Christ, paid the penalty for our sins on the cross, and he offers us a free gift of eternal life to those who believe. You and I are to be ministers of reconciliation. That is, our job as God's servants is to help people be reconciled with God, just as we were reconciled with God. Finally, as we think about this importance of common ground, the most important thing about it to remember why it should be important to us is because it's exactly what God did for us. Because, see, we talk about this common ground thing, and, and, and we can think, well, that's, that's hard. <laughs> that takes effort. I mean, that means I go out of my way. That means I give someone an extra chance. That means I, I just I, I keep working even when they're kind of aggravating to be around, and I don't like being around them, and, and, and I don't want to be at peace with them. The Bible says, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. He didn't wait till we got our act together, until we were living right and, 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 and we were wonderful, holy, beautiful people. Oh, come be on my team because you're great. The fact is he looked down on us in mercy and compassion and grace because we were a big mess. And he says, I love you anyway. Won't you come be a part of my family? Jesus Christ who dwelt in eternity with the Father and the Spirit in perfect peace in a perfect place called heaven. And the Bible says he humbled himself even unto the cross. He left the glory and splendor of heaven to come and to be with us. His name, Emmanuel, means God with us. God in heaven who the Bible says his ways are higher than our ways, his thoughts are higher than our thoughts, as far as the, the heavens are above the earth, so are his thoughts and his ways above our thoughts and our ways. He couldn't possibly be more different from us, and yet the Bible says he came down to be with us. He made that common ground. He humbled himself and became a man so that we might see how much this God who created us, who dwells in unapproachable light, he loved us enough to come to die with us, to love us, and to show us the way.
Christianity is not about a bunch of rules. It's not about a bunch of checklists of do's and don'ts. It simply boils down to loving God with all of our heart and our soul and our mind and our strength and loving our neighbor. And Jesus told a story that pretty much makes everybody our neighbor, right? Loving our neighbor as ourself. And something God demonstrated that as much as you may love someone from a distance, to demonstrate that love, you got to get close. You got to be willing to get a little messy. And so I challenge you as a believer, whether you're a boy or a girl or a man or a woman, wherever you are in life, to love God as he's loved you, to love others as he loves them. To build common ground in your relationships. And I don't just mean the easy relationships. I mean the more difficult relationships in life as well. We build common ground because we love God and we love others. And out of that common ground, we'll be blessed and God's name will be glorified. Would you bow and pray with me today? Heavenly Father, we come to you and we thank you that you love us despite who we are, despite our failures and our flaws and our sins. God, you love us just the way you are, but you love us too much to leave us that way. Father God, help us to receive your love by allowing you to change us and to make us more like Jesus. God, as we come to this time of invitation, Lord, may we really trust and obey as we've listened to your word today. God, we ask these things in Jesus' name. Amen.